Welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back, the podcast for people who want to get the absolute most out of owning a home. Your host is Anna Simone, who explains how your home can be healthy, sustainable, and provide long-term security for you and your family. Anna's guests include technology leaders and innovators in the housing industry who share the kind of knowledge you need to meet the market with confidence. Make informed decisions about home construction, renovation, energy scores, water conservation, wind, solar, geothermal power, and lots more. It's time for you to live in a home that pays you back. Now here's your host, Anna Simone. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. And if you have been listening to my podcast, The Past Three Sessions, I nicknamed a series called Testing One, Two, Three, which is the ability for homeowners to order energy ratings or indoor air quality tests on their home. And I am so excited today because the person that I have on my guest today is the guy that all of the thousands of inspectors that handle the testing technology and diagnostic tools and thermal imaging tools all over the country. So I would like to introduce Bill Spahn. He is president and CEO of TrueTuck Tools. And he is a building performance expert. He has filed three patents, he does expert witness work, and he is active on national technical committees. And Bill is the owner of the country's largest online store for tools and test instruments for HVAC systems and refrigeration. And the company serves both the U.S. and Canada. And TrueTech Tools is the major supplier for technicians who perform energy audits, assess building performance and air quality, and they sell 6,000 products across the country and detection systems. So, Bill, welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back. Thank you, Anna. I greatly appreciate the invitation to be here, and I'm humbled and flattered by your description. I just think of myself as you know, a person on a daily basis who just tries to do the right thing. I think you are. I've read your whole story. Thank you. And, you know, we have a lot in common on that. But I wanted to ask you some questions today for our listeners that are going to be a combination of people that are thinking about buying a home. You know, they're going around looking at houses or people that are living in a home and maybe want to do some renovations. And then there's a whole group of people that are thinking, I want to lower my carbon footprint. I'd like to have a net zero home or an energy efficient home. So, you know, why don't we start with, I think of you as one of the country's leading experts on building performance. So tell us what is building performance? Sure. My background is trained as an engineer and I worked for actually Kodak on some uh, different oh. kinds of office equipment for a while up in Rochester, New York. Oh, now, yeah. And then uh, migrated into the field of test instruments with Fisher Scientific and then into a company called Bacharach. Spent 10 years there working on different products for measuring things, mostly combustion measurements, you know, furnaces, heating. And then I got introduced to this concept 
of low-income weatherization because it's so important when people would go out, and this was in through the 80s and 90s and even up to today, when low-income weatherization goes out and they tighten up an existing home, that they can often upset the balance of the required amount of air for combustion causing carbon monoxide problems, inadvertently causing. So this whole infrastructure started of national labs and practitioners and contractors and universities working together to write policies and procedures and go out and do great work for the last 40 years in weatherization. And that work there is the foundation for home performance, because so much was learned with Department of Energy funding to do work to avoid causing harm in weatherization. But a lot was discovered about how buildings work, and especially on how homes work. Yeah, well, you know, I... I think in any industry, you've got to wear the moccasins and you've got to walk the walk before you talk the talk. And I think that what you did is so admirable, but I happen to be aware of the programs by HUD, which is the Housing and Urban Mm -hmm. Development and the weatherization programs. But we're reading about people who are getting sick or worse from carbon monoxide poisoning and, well, sometimes hotels or Airbnbs are, are in their homes. And I know that your company is is de- developing and are you're supplying the detection devices for people to monitor flood, fire, and carbon monoxide in their homes. Can you talk about those products for a minute? Sure. So. In the process of learning how to design equipments with back, equipment with BACRAC, I became to be sort of a minor expert in carbon monoxide. And from that point forward, actually, in the last uh, couple of decades, have done some expert witness consulting work in carbon monoxide yes. poisoning when it comes to the generation and propagation of carbon monoxide and worked on some different cases. Um, and and it, a lot of the time, it, it it's a situation where something... Um, it's actually mechanical failure a lot of times, but not so much the machine that fails. It's the way it's either maintained or installed is imperfect. Uh-huh. So doing things like, again, going back to the weatherization example of not providing enough combustion air, you starve uh-huh. the combustion process and it doesn't oh, go see. to completion. And instead of making CO2, which is what you want to get when you completely combust a fossil fuel you end up getting partway there without enough oxygen, you make carbon monoxide. And then things like uh, poorly designed duct systems or leaky filter grills, uh, leaky filter uh, penetrations around the equipment can then lead to the propagation of the carbon monoxide that can be produced and then propagated. And then the nasty thing about carbon monoxide is it's the silent killer that's right. Uh, it, it affects yeah. uh, your oxygen, oxygen absorption and a lot of times puts your muscles, makes them weaker, puts your brain to sleep. And unfortunately, a lot of times these uh, poisonings and deaths occur overnight uh, when people are already in sort of the sleep state. That's they right. just never wake up. I know. Now, does keeping windows open help that if there's an existence of the poison in the house, just having an open window? 
to help well, mitigate way, that risk? Yeah, fresh air uh, dilution is, you know, some our industry say dilution is often the solution when you, when you have <laughs> That's a, cute. A, yeah. a, a pollutant or a, an objectionable parameter, a gaseous parameter in the air or, or particulate. Um, but if there's a carbon dioxide should not be present in the home. And it, and it sort of grates me the wrong way when I hear news stories about carbon monoxide leaks. Uh-huh. A lot of times they're leaks, but it's not like carbon monoxide is being transported inside your house somewhere and then it leaks out like a gas leak or a water leak. It's, right. it's the creation of it, and then it gets propagated and, and moved into different parts of the house. So um, my recommendation, I mean, in some states it's law that you have a carbon monoxide detector. Um, and But there are two levels that I wanted to speak about, which I think are important. This is great for consumers to understand this, uh, homeowners. Um, there's, there's a standard called the United Laboratories 2034, or UL 2034 standard. Hmm. And that's a standard that uh, almost all the alarms that you'll find in the U.S. And there's a corresponding standard in Canada. I, th- I think it's um, it, hmm. it could be CGA six nineteen. Don't, don't quote me. I maybe you aren't yeah, quoting right. me, but <laughs> I think it's in my book anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there's a corresponding standard in Canada. These these alarms are designed to be um, life safety alarms. When they go off, you have a problem. They're they're tuned to such a level that they when when they're when they're alarming, it's just like a fire alarm. There's a clear and present danger. Yes. There's another type of alarms that are low-level alarms that give you a warning at a much earlier point uh, when you can start to see the trend for being a problem, and then you have some time to fix it. So it, it's. It's uh, in many cases people are interested in getting these low-level alarms. They're they're hard to find, so we sell them through my company, True Tech Tools, uh, for consumers and contractors. There are some contractors that actually buy the alarms in bulk, and then give their consumers advice, and uh, right. they install them for them. Right. Well, I think that our listeners might want to hear from you what the sources are of carbon monoxide. Sure. Because I have them briefly listed in my book. And it came as a surprise to me because I wasn't sure where it came from. But why don't you tell us how it gets into your house? Well, it's the product of incomplete combustion. So combustion is almost always a fossil fuel. So that's wood, charcoal, oil natural gas, propane. So any of those substances are designed to go from taking the hydrocarbons that are in the fossil fuel and converting them into carbon dioxide and water with a concurrent release of heat energy. And that's what you're usually trying to do is create heat by burning a fuel. Okay. So if if there's insufficient amount of oxygen in from the air present where this combustion is going on, it doesn't burn to completion. So you, instead of going all the way to CO2, you're, you get left at the step of having CO or carbon monoxide, and that's oh. the deadly gas. So um, if you have a leaky chimney or furnace or unvented kerosene or space heater or backdrafts, these are the things that create that? It could. So, so there's the creation and then there's the propagation. So if your um, your flu is leaking, 
but there's no car there's not sufficient carbon monoxide in there you don't have so much of a danger it's not a good thing to have because there's okay. other things in the air so there's there's first it's conditions that create it and then there's conditions that propagate it so you could have carbon monoxide created from a, a incomplete burning furnace say an older furnace that's got dirty burners uh, or getting starved for air, but for, for whatever reason, it's venting properly. Yeah. And you might have, um, and the numbers that, that we're talking about here, it's measured in parts per million of, right. of air PPM. concentration. PPM, exactly. Okay. And, and levels like, uh, even like nine PPM could be an action level. Uh, mm. And things like, hundreds of ppm get into the level of actually causing um, biological impact you know nausea uh, vomiting uh, unclear thinking uh, meth uh, muscle lethargy that kind of thing as you get up into the the thousands of ppm um, so even though you might have carbon dioxide created it could be being vented but equipment's never designed to create carbon monoxide so just put well, that out there. So how does a gas stove create carbon monoxide? Uh, it could be through flame impingement. So you take mm. a, a cold pot full of uh, a pot full of cold water. You're going to mm. make some pasta. Uh, put it on the range. Crank up that gas. The gas is going to feed the gas through. And as the as the flame front hits the pan, it's going to cool off. And that could cause it to not completely combust. You'll still oh. get heat being released, but you're chilling the flame. And it's a combination of the right amount of oxygen and the right temperature for the chemical reaction that causes heat to be released. This is fascinating. I, I feel like I, I've been sitting in my science class and I actually paid attention. <laughs> because I have to say, I did not pay attention in class when I went. But... What I would like to have you share with our audience is mm -hmm. like the most important priorities in the broad area of home safety detection systems for people who rent, rent or own a home. Yeah, I, I think a, a fire alarm and a carbon, a, a smoke alarm yeah. uh, and a carbon monoxide a detector carbon monoxide alarm are two very important things because these are the things again that can sneak up in you overnight um, when when you're not paying attention. I actually, well, I company I own True Tech. We have 23 employees. One of my employees just the other night, like two nights ago, uh, woke up to a funny smell mm. and found it out. Found out that one of his um, outlets was on fire in his house. Oh. Now he he happened to be up, uh, but it, uh, you know That's a smoke scary. alarm yeah could could uh, per, could highlight that situation uh, as it's occurring. Um, so I think th those those two things are very important for sort of life safety issues. There's there's other things like um, particulates, uh, the formation of mold and other organic substances, which can also be have uh, health impairing effects. Those are a little bit uh, more difficult because there aren't so many sort of consumer level alarms or, or detectors mm -hmm. that are out there to detect these things. Um, but I think that situation is changing. Usually you have to call in a professional 
Yes. Yeah. I've, I've had flood detectors in my house, and I noticed I have a Ring camera, and Ring is now offering flood. But, you know, it's a lower-level, you know, product, I think. If I were living, um, you know, along the water, I would probably want hardwired flood detectors, you know, like I had in one of my homes. But I want to tell you that five years ago, I built an energy-efficient home from scratch, which I sold last year. And when I sold my house... There had to be a radon inspection. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised that my house flunked the radon test. So yeah. I had to have radon mitigation. Don't take it personal. And, no, I didn't. <laughs> the thing was, I had an airtight home built. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, we're getting back to our theme about the building performance, we want to have an airtight house, right? Yes, to control However, the exchange of energy, right. Yep. Except that when it comes to radon, there needs to be a way for that radon to escape. Mm-hmm. And that's what the mitigation process is. So why don't you just take a couple of minutes to you know, tell our audience how radon actually seeps into your home. Sure. And what happens when it's detected. Sure. So I actually built a uh, and live in now a high performance house that was built using modular construction techniques. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually have a website for that called spoonhome.com. S-P-O-H-N-E. I saw that. H-O-N-E. I did. I saw, yeah. I forgot that I looked at that website. Yeah. So and also a Facebook group on that. So I, I do a lot of uh, you know nerdy to semi nerdy discussions <laughs> about things that I find. We did have a radon problem here. Um, ra- radon. Uh, there. There's the the US EPA has uh, a radon or a website that'll show you a map of county by county, which is considered radon hotspots. There, there's an awful oh, lot of homes there that, that have them. I saw uh, that. But you may have uh, a home on an adjoining property may not have radon issues, and you may, and your next door neighbor might. So it, it's a variety. It's there's it's not a given that you have these issues. You did mention, though, when you tighten up a house. So our house is very airtight. Um, if it means anything to the listeners out there, our blower door test uh, was one air change per hour at 50 pascals. Um, most huh. houses are <laughs> built to two, three, four, five. They'd be up to 11. So we're a very tight house. And I we and actually at TrueTech, we do have some consumer-grade radon monitors, digital ones that we sell. Uh, and I was tracking it, and I saw the levels were uncomfortably high. Fortunately, we had put in um, uh, an interior French drain around the basement wall. We have basements here. Um, yeah. And that uh, interior French drain basically was, I had it by the, the builder, pipe it in and route it all the way to the to the roof. Line. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they did with me. Yeah. So then we, we cut into the pipe, or actually I cut into the pipe and added a radon fan, and our levels went from as high as 30 picocuries per liter. But remembering that the uh, the action level by the, the American Lung Association is four picocuries per liter or less. Yes. I know. That was, that was in the, the fine print of the disclosure that I yeah. got. So we were up there at 30, and yeah. within six hours, we were down to one. Yeah. We were yeah. down below the level. So you, you, have, you need to collect the radon up before it gets into the house and then exhaust it above the roof line. That's yeah. the general precaution. Yeah, well, 
So like you said, don't take it personal. The yeah. thing that I read on the EPA website, too, and all of the research I did on my book about radon in both the U.S. and Canada, it is found just about in every geographic location around yeah. the country. And it's because of the uranium that is still in the Earth's core. Is that what it is? And it just yeah. it, it finds its way up to the surface. And the whole, it's not it's such a bad thing. You just have to root it outside of your house so that it it's it's like an airflow thing. It'll come into your house and you just want to have it piped out over your roof line. Am I describing yeah. this correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't want to be sitting in a radon chamber. Um, it's this, according to what I've read, the second leading cause of lung cancer in the United oh, States. Yeah, I know. Uh, that after uh, cigarette smoking. Well, speaking of speaking of cigarettes, uh, cigarette uh, uh, smoke can also cause um, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, right? Yeah, but it's a very low oh, just... volume of smoke. Oh, okay. When you when you get okay. right down to it, it, it okay. causes a higher level in the blood of the smoker. Uh-huh. If there's excessive secondhand smoke, it can affect people that are in the same room, but usually it's not a, a continuous source, uh, although it could be. Yeah. So getting back to the building performance, mm -hmm. so if somebody were, if the three stages or the three, the three options that someone has is to buy a home that's brand new mm -hmm. or renovate a home so that it becomes a higher performance building or... Well, I, I would say if you could tell us what a deep retrofit is. And so if we start out with, let's just say somebody is out visiting with a builder, they're looking at several models, and the builder is saying, okay, well, here's the checklist of all of your upgrades. You know, we're charging $300,000 for 2,200-square-foot house and for $1,200 more you can get oak floors and for two. $3,000 more, you can have high-performance windows, and $5,000, you can get a high-performance HVAC system. Right. So if one of your kids were buying a house and they only wanted, they could only afford five or $6,000 in upgrades, or they, were, they really didn't want any upgrade, they just want a house. They want to yeah. get in the door. What would your fatherly advice be for the how to prioritize what to pick first when you're building that brand new house? Get it over with now, your advice. Well, there's, fortunately, there's some rating systems that, uh, yeah. that the builder should be able to speak towards. Yeah. To say, for example, there's the ResNet, Residential Energy Services Network. Yeah. They have what's called the HERS rating, the Home Energy yes. Rating System Scale. Yeah. Um, and the lower the HERS number, the more energy efficient the home is. So if, if, if the builder has a track record of building rated homes, you could ask them to see what what the homes look like, what do they cost to achieve certain rating values. Mm. And it, it's got to be, like you said, it's got to be weighed up in sort of the whole matrix of possibilities. Um, they, they should, you know, I would encourage my kids to prioritize, you know, is it about the location? Is it about the, the beauty? Is it about the uh, air quality? Is it about the energy efficiency? 
Hmm. And a lot of times those things all play together, though. It's it's interesting. Um, like the house that we built, um, we have a really beautiful setting, um, and we also uh, sort of manipulate the sun. We have uh, solar power for the house. We have solar uh -huh. shading for the summertime. Um, and we have high gain windows for the wintertime to absorb more solar energy. So I get more of this passive solar heating. So, so sometimes there's these things sort of um, push and pull each other a little bit around. Um, there's another uh, energy star rating for homes. There's actually homes can be energy star rated. That is the perfect rated. advice right yeah. there. Get the energy star. Important to consider, I um, want to make sure that the listeners hear the concept of air sealing as well as insulation. Because, oh, I forgot uh, the cracks and the yes, traps. Right. And, yes. and even um, insulation, if if the if you think of the insulation goes in a cavity and the cavity, it, you're sort of creating a blanket to prevent the thermal transfer either in or out of the house walls to the outside sheathing of the house. That's what insulation does. It's a blanket. Yes. However, if that blanket has leaks of air in it, you can get uh, circulating air within that chamber, which serves to transfer the energy anyway. So you you can you can oh. have uh, leaky air, leaky insulation at the same grade, but if it's a leakier type construction, you will get much poorer performance from that insulation. So you've effectively Just wasted because your of money. the way it was done. Yeah. Okay. So my my last question. And this is a big one. Mm. Can you tell us what a deep retrofit is? Now that's someone that's been living in a house for a while, or they're thinking about buy, buying a fixer-upper, yes. or a house that's in good condition. Explain a deep retrofit to our listeners. Sure. Uh, and you, you really got to you know take a look at your budget. But, but a deep retrofit would basically be stripping things down to the bones of the house. Yeah. Uh, and then building them back up with attention being paid to this number one, the air sealing issue. And that would mm -hmm. be both most importantly, especially for heating climates, most importantly in the attic. Aha. And then of second importance would be the basement, the crawl space or the band joist area, because that's where you get something called the stack effect, which uh -huh. In the, okay. in the winter time, you'll get cold air drawn in from the basement that wants to exit near the top. And unless you sort of throttle back those channels by which the air is moving through your house, you're going to experience discomfort and energy waste in trying to condition that house. So uh -huh. the attic, the basement, and then the walls would be something to address. Yeah. Uh, and then the walls, you might need to strip back the walls to the outside siding to be able to get at all those yeah, I read nooks that. and crannies. And, um, you know, you, you, in one of your quotes in your book, you talk about a, a mile of cracks or something like that, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, what, that's what Energy Star says. The, yeah. the average home has a mile and a half of cracks. Now, if somebody had a 100-year-old gas furnace or old steam radiators. I grew I grew up with steam radiators in Boston. Right. And you know, they were noisy. And, you know, I used to watch my dad go around and put the light, you know, twisting the knobs and they were so hot. Every time 
a child was running around the house would say, don't touch the radiator, yeah. because they were really, really hot. So what would your advice be to someone who buys an oldie but goodie, and they want to get rid of these old steam radiators or that, that boiler that's in the basement? What would you recommend for a whole new HVAC system? Well, first, you should understand the energy load that that's going to be required to heat and cool that space. Unfortunately, uh, uh, yeah. fortunately, there's a, a series of manuals that a HVAC contractor would have at their disposal uh, from the Air Conditioning Contractors of America. Uh, there's manuals and there's software that allow them to to create basically an energy model of the flow of energy and actually moisture for, for reasons of humidity uh, through the home. Mm. It, you, you could have, um, it, and it, you know, if there's, a, if there's a really engaged consumer out there, you can actually try this yourself. There's a website called Cool Calc. Uh -huh, I think I saw that, yes. C-A-L-C.net, Cool Calc. And at Cool Calc, you can put in the details of your home, and then it will create an energy model to tell you approximately how much, what size of system you would need yeah. to, to overcome those loads. Um, and there's, there's another great book out there. Again, if you want to take like another skim below the surface and understand things a little bit more in depth, if you're going to deep dive, you need deep knowledge. That's right. Uh, there, there's a friend of mine named Nate Adams, and he has a website called Nate the House Whisperer. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. He, he offers, he's, he's also written a book, which is a deeper dive into home energy performance. Mm. Uh, a lot of great explanations and illustrations and analogies. He also offers for free, I think, four chapters out of his 10-chapter book that you can just hit up immediately when you go to the website, NateTheHouseWhisperer.com. Oh, that's very generous of him. Yeah. You know, I'm going to put that website on my, uh, on my, uh, my own website. Yeah. So it's, no it's worries if you don't have a pen to write all of this down. You'll find out who Bill is and, you know, what about his company and, you know, these references that he's giving you now. Um, you'll, you'll find it on the podcast page of my website. But, Bill, would you recommend an electric heat pump to someone who's doing a retro, you know, pulling out that old furnace? Or what would you recommend if, if you have to have either gas or oil or I know the electrification of America is the newest thing. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting more deeply involved in that in, in different activities I'm involved with. Um, but I would say heat pumps, you got to understand, are different animals. Heat pumps yes. transfer heat either from yes. the inside out in air conditioning mode or from the outside in during heating mode. And they Ooh. do it sort of like sipping a straw rather than taking drinks of big gulps. So the um, commonly, if you have an older heating system, it usually has one speed and that's full blast. Whereas a heat pump, most heat pumps today run at variable speed and may actually, in some situations, like in my house, when it's really cold out, they'll run 24 hours a day just mm. to keep up with the load. But they're basically adding just back a, a little bit at a time, just a little bit at a time, transferring heat from outside to the inside. 
Now, would it be going through a hot air duct, or do you have to put those mini split things up on the wall that are like close to the ceiling? Sure. The mini splits are um, the typical thing I think people think of when they think of heat pumps. Um, but I, in my house, we have a ducted mini split. So okay. it, it's a it's a smaller size unit that sits outside, but it feeds into an air handler. Okay. It actually connects to uh, one coil, and then there's a distribution system around the house to bring the air to the to the rooms to the space where the where they're needed to address the load. That's interesting. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, one important thing I got out of what you just said, Bill, mm -hmm. was this, to, si to correctly measure and size the house. And I would imagine you're talking about ASHRAE standards for the square footage, BTU. Yeah, the ASHRAE standards, the ASHRAE handbooks. Okay. Um, the, this Air Conditioning Contractors of America, ACA, they're called, ACA.org, yes. I believe. Yes. They've done the courtesy for the sort of the non-engineer contractor to okay. put it in a more simplified, easily digestible book. And then other software vendors actually have taken it a step further. Yeah. And now a knowledgeable contractor can work through the software and not have to go back and basically design something from scratch. The ASHRAE yeah. handbooks, it's all, it's the, it's the essential knowledge from ASHRAE put in an easy to use format in the manuals and then in software. And those are strict laws. Thank you, Bill, for explaining something that is essential for all of us to know that if we do a deep retrofit, if we are upgrading our home or we want to have a high performance home, a better energy efficient system, that uh, having a professional inspector, like that we we all I already had a podcast with with uh, Ryan Mears from Resnet. Oh yeah, so we good. talked about the hers rating, and I think that it's so important when you're buying or renovated a home that you go through all of the steps of what I call by testing one two three, mm -hmm. and Bill is the guy who who provides. All of the thousands of inspectors and technicians throughout America with the diagnostic tools to go to your house that you're thinking about buying or a home that you live in and very carefully measure out just what has to be done for health, comfort, and safety. I have so one any, little tid any tidbit thoughts? to give you. I have one sure. more tidbit. Um, yeah. I just recalled the, there's a friend of mine, Jason Earl, who has okay. developed a product called uh, gotmold.com. I saw that website. Yeah. Yes. So what he's done is taken the process of getting a professional airborne mold spore test uh, and sort of democratized it by lowering the cost of the sampling machine, but mm, making a very easy okay. process. Uh, you can- That sounds good. You get a, a little kit, you connect it up, let it run, and then you have a prepaid mailing envelope to ship the sample cassette back to a certified lab, and then they'll email you the result of what's, what's in the air. Yeah. yeah, that's like the soil test or the water test. Yeah. Sometimes that might be a lot of information for a consumer to digest, 
but you've 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 now you've got a snapshot of what's actually going on if you if you yeah. do need to bring in a professional. Well, I say it doesn't hurt. Sometimes it costs a few hundred dollars to order, you know, a home. I mean, most real estate agents are recommending that people get a home inspection. And I have found that the home inspectors are very knowledgeable and really helpful. But if you can also bundle in a home energy rating, because I think you need to know not only what is the rating now, but what are the potential rating if I do the work? And the thing I like about the different types of energy assessments that we have available to us is that it gives you a playbook. It gives you a blueprint. Well, what am I supposed to do now? Because people really need to know what they're supposed to do. So, Bill, I feel like I've been sitting in science class. I've been paying attention. Okay. You're so knowledgeable, and I find that your website is great, too. I learned a lot just from looking at it. So, Bill, how can people find out who you are, and is it truetechtools.com? Yes. truetechtools.com, or if you're interested in the what we've done for our house that we built, it's sponehome.com, S-P-O-H-N-H-O-M-E.com. okay. And I'm going to put all of this in my podcast uh, summary. Sure. And one other thing I, I thought to mention is you'd mentioned HERS raters. That's for the new yeah. construction home energy rating. Yeah. There's also BPI, Building Performance Institute, BPI.org, contractors mm-hmm. for existing homes. And the oh, BPI okay. basically grew out of the weatherization industry to help write standards. And it's a certifying body for contractors, but they do have a great homeowner section on their website, explain a lot of the physics and then have a newsletter too. So that's BPI, ResNet, two great organizations that are near and dear to my heart. Oh, so one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. Sorry. You you keep on keeping my wheels turned here because you're so well involved with a house that pays you back. There's actually a fairly new organization, been out there for about five years, called Pearl Certification. Okay. Pearl Certification helps to uh, get a third party to value the assets in your home, including the invisible energy assets. Interesting. And that way it produces the green sheet for the appraisal institute that can be then used when you go to sell your property. Now, when you say assets, you mean the... The HVAC system. Does it have solar, plumbing, Energy Star appliances, construction of the house? Many different features. Uh, I know a lot of baby boomers who are downsizing who would love that, except that they would love to have grandma's dining room set thrown in there, too. Because the problem with downsizing is everyone says, I don't know what to do with all my stuff. But I really like that whole concept, and I am going to include Pearl Certification Please do. In my website. Okay, I better stop talking. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for bringing me on. Yes, this has been it. a been a really interesting and very educational and informative show. Thanks Thank so you. much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Live in a Home That Pays You Back podcast. We hope you tune in again where we'll share more insider secrets so you get the absolute most out of your home. Check out Anna D. Simone's award-winning book, Live in a Home That Pays You Back. Available at Amazon and major booksellers in print, audio, and ebook. For more information, visit AnnaDeSimone.net. If you like what you heard, remember to follow Live in a Home That Pays You Back and subscribe 
wherever you get your podcasts.